The Open Source Creative Podcast, Episode 14, Taking the Flip Side. This is the Open Source Creative Podcast, a podcast where I ramble on about creativity process and open source software during my work commute. I'm Jason Van Gumster, your host and driver. This episode is a long one. Longest one to date, I think. In it, I talk about the cost of choosing to use open source software as your tools when producing, you know, creative work. We always talk about the benefits of, of free and open source tools, but it's much less less common for us to talk about the cost, at least honestly in a, in a straightforward fashion. So that's kind of what I aim to do with this episode. I, I hope it should be a pretty fun listen. Also, I restructured the site. Oh, the site, the podcast, the app. The way I'm doing these podcasts a little bit, uh, I'm going to put the news in this section and not in the while I'm driving section. The biggest reason for that is because it's been pretty dark when driving and sometimes I write notes so I remember what the news is going to be and uh, it's kind of hard to read those notes in the dark. So, (laughs) at least until, you know, the sun comes out in the mornings, um... I'll be I'll be doing news on this side of it. Plus, it makes me if if I happen to have a break a day or two, hopefully not that much, between when I record the podcast proper and when I get around to doing the edits, and something interesting pops up, at least I can cover that as well and it doesn't get lost in the, in the mix of it all. Inci- incidentally, to everyone who answered my my question about whether or not they wanted to keep the news in the show on Twitter and whatnot. Think and Facebook and a couple other places. Um, thanks for the feedback. That that actually helped quite a bit. So actually, let me jump right into news-related things here. All right. So what do we got here? So yeah, there's a there's there's actually quite a bit, and a lot of it's Critter-related. So Critter 2.9 beta came out. Uh, looks really good. There's a lot of really good updates and and stuff on it. So I go into this in the episode, but go test it. It's beta, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't test it. That's what you should be doing anyway. Also, here's a fun little bit. Crito replaced Photoshop at University Paris 8 as the tool of choice for the, for a digital painting class. And uh, and actually, throughout the university, I think, after it's been a while since I read the article, so you have to go. I have a link to it in the show notes, but it's really cool news, and a couple other places reported on it, so it's, I'm not really breaking anything spectacular here. This is just, you know, it's a really cool cool thing to see uh, a, a smaller, specialized application like Krita replacing, you know, a big proprietary standard, if you want to use that term, <laughs> in, in, in the, the education world. And the uh, last little bit of Krita news is... I'm going to wreck this name, so I apologize right now, which is in advance. Uh, but Budwin Rimt, who's the Krita maintainer, has been sort of the, the, the active maintainer and, and lead developer for it for, for a while now, uh, made a, a really cool kind of blog post saying... Uh, it's called the the gorilla and Gibbon, and yeah, you know, basically comparing, saying Krita is not Photoshop, which we all know, but some people who who haven't been introduced to Krita yet would um, need to be reminded of that. And the other, but the, the more interesting thing is that he gives a roadmap for for at least how he sees Krita's development going. So it's a uh, it's a good read and and well worth keeping an eye on and. And and those things, so I definitely recommend giving that one a look. On to other things. There's an interview which I think it's on. It's a it's a fairly small blog, but I said I stumbled across it because I that's what I do. I stumble across things online, but I stumbled across it. There's a Gu, uh, Gustav Gonzalez, who's the developer for Tupi, which used to be Ktune. Which is uh for if you're not familiar with Tupi, it's it's a it's a 2D animation program, kind of along the same lines as Synfig, or if, if you're thinking 
proprietary apps it would be like Flash or Toonboom. Though I think more on the Flash side in terms of interface, but without any of the website features of Flash, the interactivity, that kind of stuff. It's it's mostly for it's it's built for producing the producing animations. And um there's a pretty cool interview with him. It's actually a really long one, so it's a hell of a read. And uh but I definitely you should you should you should read that. Reading is good. Other generic sort of open source stuff. The the OnePlus One was released, which is a, a an Android phone running Cyanogen mod. It's it's not so much open source creative stuff, but hey, it was, it was it's supposed to be the the thing. I kind of want one, but man, I am I still don't like the five inch phones. They're too big. But maybe I'm just I'm old. <laughs> Another thing to reference to have a look at is the there's a video editor roundup on opensource.com. It's it's actually not a bad it's the 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 article itself is is written from the perspective of of a um it's written from the perspective that I I, I kind of don't agree with that kind of mindset uh which is the 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 lazy editor let me install it run it and and not think too much thing i i'm not particularly fond of, of that mindset but it's educational in terms of how um a person might be approaching some of these new programs or new to them programs so the there's a roundup on open source open source.com there's a good roundup of a bunch of at the very least it's a list of uh programs that do video editing in it and they cover uh, Caden Live, PTV, uh, Lightworks. Oh, Lightworks. Oh dear. Anyway, <laughs> um, he has Avid Emux in there for some reason. I don't know why. He even talks about Cinelera and Blender. And um, spoiler alert: the one that he actually ended up liking the most was Blender, <laughs> which is you know, not really a video editing, but it's probably the mo most robust, I guess, of of the set. Also, some sort of unfortunate news that most people, most of you should know by now. It's not open source news so much as it is creative news, but DreamWorks had had some pretty serious stuff breaking through. They uh, they closed the PDI campus in in California and dropped 500 people and um, laid them off, which is it's a damn shame because. I have, I have, <laughs> the it's, it's, well, let me just put it this way. I, I really feel for, for anybody who happened to be amongst those 500 or at that PDI location. And, but I mean, looking at the, the, I get a, a weird suspicion that, oh, I mean, they've, they've got on the animation side, they've got how to train your dragon as, as nominated for top animated show. So if, <laughs> I think I've heard this story before, except last year or the year prior, and it was Rhythm and Hughes, and it was Life of Pi. <laughs> so I mean, it's just one of those things. They're they're gonna, you know, if if they pull away with with the Academy Award for for uh, best animated feature, and they're closing down. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit of a repeat story, don't you think? But in any case, it's. It's really un unfortunate for for those guys. So that sucks. Um, on on less on to less depressing news, or at least news that I can probably talk about without making people angry. Um, Inkscape 0.91 was released with all sorts of fun little goodies in it. So to go track that down. And if you're a Darktable user, Darktable 1.6.2 was released as well. So there's 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 some happiness in the world too. <laughs> but yeah that's uh that pretty much covers it for the news as far as i could figure it out if you have any other things that you want me to cover on the next episode or whatever you think i missed it or you think my take on it is horseshit then eh, let me know but that's 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 the course of things uh, i'm gonna go on with the show right now and uh that's another part of the uh, the slight restructuring on the show is I'm going to show up uh, at the end as well just to sort of give a closing remark or two. So I'll do that then.
in the meantime, on with the rest of the show. Oh, we're going to toast marshmallows, are we? Could be. All right, so before I get into the main meat of the show, I do have a personal news-related thing. More of a question. It's looking for suggestions on this one. I am looking for suggestions and ideas on another version control system for creative work. So I've been using stuff that's normally used for source control, for versioning my creative projects, be it writing, uh, animation, illustration works, whatever, even stuff for, 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 for work stuff, I'm using version control. And I used to use Subversion, and the, but I, I migrated away from Subversion, um, not just because it was trendy, <laughs> but because I wanted to do more of a, um, ad hoc versioning. I didn't want to necessarily run a server for doing my version control because I wouldn't necessarily need to run a server for it. So having some form of distributed versioning system was, was, was good. And at the time, your, the, the, the three main possibilities there were uh, Git, Mercurial, and Bazaar. Bazaar I looked into very, very closely, but it just didn't seem to suit what I needed, so I didn't go very far into that one. And at the time, I was doing more collaborative stuff, and and Git wasn't really as nicely cross-platform uh, in terms of, of usability and, and those sort of things. Mercurial, on the other hand, had Tortoise HG for people who I work with that, that use Windows, or uh, and then on the Linux side, of course, just straight up Mercurials is perfectly fine as you know and there's also still tortoise hg on the on the linux side as well if i if i were so inclined to to lean that way but also the other thing to bear in mind is that uh git is absolute shit when it comes to handling binary files um subversion actually handled them a little bit better in that it could do binary diffing and i'm when i when i'm talking in that case Binary diffing in terms of like getting de- like meaningful deltas from one binary image to the other that that wasn't happening, but the it was more efficient in terms of drive space. You know, since Subversion could do binary diffing a little bit better, uh, it could handle um, drive space issues with those binary files better, and gets kind of shit for that. Mercurial's marginally better than Git, so that was one of the other reasons I chose Mercurial over Git. Now, flash forward a little bit. I've been doing a lot more writing recently between uh, fiction and nonfiction sort of things and just um, blog posts and articles and, and those sort of things. I've been, I've been doing a lot more writing stuff recently and writing, and I, I still classify that as, as work that should be versioned. And uh, for the longest time, I've been working with, with LibreOffice. And I think in a previous episode, I talked about my, my issue with Mercurial and LibreOffice in that mostly it wasn't a Mercurial issue, this is a LibreOffice issue where LibreOffice doesn't offer a command line flag for comparing documents because it has the feature of comparing documents and you can basically get a diff between two LibreOffice documents, two, two ODT files, well, could be any two documents that LibreOffice opens, but I get to take two ODT files and, and get a meaningful diff essentially from from the two of them using LibreOffice, if LibreOffice allowed me to access the change, uh, the compare documents feature from the command line, which it doesn't, so that sucks. So that I talked about that in a previous episode. But I've been slowly migrating away from LibreOffice for my primary writing. I still use it when I'm going into edits and workshops and stuff like that, because it's like uh, the, the ODT file or even the docs, the, uh, the doc f- f- format are, are slightly more ubiquitous in terms of 
people being able to read the document and put comments and stuff like that. I mean, if I really want to be super ubiquitous, I could use RTF, I suppose, but doc is fair enough. But ODT will work as well, depending on which people I'm sending it to. And regardless, I'm slowly migrating away from that for primary writing. And to that end, I'm migrating more towards writing in plain text using either the markdown syntax for prose, nonfiction, fiction, that kind of stuff, and fountain for screenplays. So I'm using plain text, so that that, that changes the, 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 the binary file question a little bit. And I've been doing a lot more writing on my Android tablet, on my Nexus 10. And I used to, actually I ran Linux on Android for a little while, which works fairly well, but it, it it's a kludgy solution because if I run Linux on Android, then I have I have LibreOffice and I have the whole work suite and I can do Mercurial from that and that was fine. But for a while there, Linux on Android stopped working. By the way, I, I my my tablet's rooted too, so I mean I can also run just a plain Cheroot environment. And so my next stage was to just try running Mercurial from within a Cheroot environment, but the problem is it doesn't, that doesn't work um, at all, actually. I had a Python VM running in the, the Cheroot environment and uh, the Mercurial executables there, works fine, but you can't do very much with it because for some reason, there's, based on what I was reading on some forum posts and, and Stack Exchange and whatnot, Mercurial uses groups, uh, takes, takes, make some use of grouping in the, on the Linux file system. So, but the Android, the, the, the Linux file system that's on Android devices doesn't use groups. So without that support, Mercurial kind of pukes all over itself. And so I can't use Mercurial in that stage. And there's not a good Mercurial app for Android. They're, they're not even, there's not even a bad one that doesn't exist. There's, there's a bit, bit beaker, bit bucket. Bit beaker bucket, beat bucket beaker. There's an app for Bitbucket that that will do it if you store stuff on Bitbucket. But I'm I'm a I'm a data paranoid guy. I like to have my data on, especially for for creative projects that are in progress. I like to have that data on a computer that I can punch and kick. Call me paranoid. Thank you. <laughs> um, but so so. And I don't want to store my creative projects on, on, on those systems anyway. So that's not going to work for me. So that's a long drawn out way of saying I need a new version control system, at least for my writing stuff. Now, right now, my research has led me to two possible solutions. One of them is, not surprisingly, Git. Uh, in the, the years since I initially made my choice to use Mercurial over Git, Git's gotten a little bit better in terms of cross-platform support. There's actually a Git client uh, app on Andro in, in the Android uh, ecosystem on the, the Play Store, and I think it's also available on Android. The app's called sGit, and sGit has commit and push possibilities, and you can work on local repositories. Yay! So there's that possibility. The other possibility that I stumbled across is a much less frequently used version control system, or they call it an SCM, a source control management software. But it's, it's a VCS, just like anything else. Um, but it's called Fossil. And Fossil is interesting. It's actually developed by the same guy who developed SQLite, which is, if you didn't know it, SQLite's kind of everywhere. It's a database backend that's in, you know, almost any embedded device and, and mobile mobile devices. and it's, it's all over the place. And SQLite uses Fossil for its version control. And actually, humorously, Fossil uses SQLite as its backend. So it has a, Fossil has a database backend, uh, more of a, I guess, a more true SQL-flavored database, like all, all version control systems have some kind of database storage in terms of the, the, the 
dependency graphs set up and those sort of things. But Fossil actually uses SQLite. It actually uses a, a, a database that, as far as I can tell, speaks SQL. And it's very lightweight, and it's, it's a single binary. It's got some really interesting things built into it. For instance, um, this might not be so useful for like a personal or an individual project, but I can see some real use for it collaboratively. Built into the fossil binary, it, you you type fossil space UI, and you can it'll pop up a browser window with all with basically kind of a an uglier, admittedly uglier, but a, a GitHub type interface where you can view the source tree, uh, do bug reporting and tracking, and there's a built-in wiki for documentation, and that's all controlled and managed within the fossil system. It's very kind of kind of an interesting approach and um so i've been playing with that one a little bit and fossil does have a not not an official app and neither does git for that matter but fossil also has a a, a an app on available on android for for doing it so that's those are my two current what i'm currently thinking about for for doing version control, particularly for the writing side of things, um, for, for creative projects. Mercurial is still a warm, got a warm spot for me. I'll probably continue using Mercurial for animation and graphics work and those sort of things. Though, I'd like to take a look at how well Fossil handles binary files before I make a final decision on that. And again, no decision is super final. They're only final for that particular project. Then I just have to maintain it. <laughs> But, so I'm interested in, in, in working with, with those and testing them out a little bit. And so if anybody out there listening to my lovely, lovely podcast, hi, if, if you happen to have opinions about version control systems, particularly in the context of using them for creative projects, writing or otherwise graphics, music, you name it, um, I'd really be interested in hearing what you think because I'm vacillating back and forth on this one between just those two. And if there's another solution that blows both of them out of the water, I'd love to hear it. My main requirements are that it has to work on Linux and Android, and it needs to work without running a server, so it has to be a distributed system. So those are my two main requirements on that. And if, if you know of something or, or you have experience using Git or fossil for your creative projects please 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 let me know and tell me what you think and uh yeah oh incidentally this is all based on a giant blog post that i wrote on my website monsterjavaguns.com and uh i'll put a link to it in the show notes so if you do happen to know something you can po- um, post a reply to this podcast or to that episode, or not that, to that blog post on my site, which, again, the link to it will be in this episode's show notes. Or you can, you know, track me down on social media and tell me there. I think email's an option, too. So, yeah, I can be contacted all sorts of ways. Let me know, please. So, on to the main content of this episode that would be well I'll give you a little background on this and that's I asked last week you know what some folks would find interesting to hear me talk about on the open source creative podcast which is this show anyway I I asked last week what people would be interested in listening and I got a cool tweet from David McSween or three point edit on Twitter and he raised a pretty, pretty. Compa- I don't have the, I don't have the text for it because, well, I'm driving, and so <laughs> you probably don't want me to be reading and driving, or you'll listen to me crashing. So let's not have that. Let's have me paraphrase what he said because I can't remember verbatim what it what it was, and I would not be safe for me to read. In any case, David thought it'd be a good idea for to talk about the costs associated with with 
using free and open source software for creative projects. I mean, we all know, or at least if you've been listening to this podcast for for a while, um, I've been beating the drum about it for a while. So hopefully, we all know the 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 benefits of using free and open source software in general and specifically when it comes to creative projects. I've, I've said it over and over again. And my, my assumption is that if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're probably already aware of that part of the picture, right? You're already, you're, you're already kind of sold on the whole notion of the benefits of, of free and open source software. So it's, it's, it may not necessarily be useful to talk about outside of, um, ideas on, on, on talking about it with other people or those sort of things. But what doesn't get talked about as much in, in free to open source software circles, if you will, is that there are costs that we incur as users of free software, as users of open source software, that people who use proprietary software, they don't have those costs. Just like we don't have the, some of the costs they do, vendor lock-in, for instance, actual money costs, for instance, those sort of things. Just like we, we, we don't incur some of their costs, we have costs that, that they don't incur. And it's too often, too frequently, a, a person who is, is advocating the use of open source software kinds of glazes over <laughs> the, these costs, especially when it talks about using the software in, in, a, uh, in the context of... of of a career or a job, you know, my 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 well-hated word professional. If you're if you're going to be using the 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 software professionally, then you know it's, it's a business. You know whether you're freelance or working for somebody else. There's that means it's a business, and and therefore you have to consider costs. And there are costs associated with it. And me, I'm going to run through some of the costs that I've personally experienced in, in, in the course of my various works, <laughs> I was going to say careers, but that just seems weird. Uh, my, my various, uh, time using free and open source software for creative work, I'll, I'll get into the, the, the costs that I incurred, the costs that I, I, I experienced at least. And that's, that's what I'm going to talk about. And of course, you know, I, I certainly welcome you to pipe in via comment, Twitter, email, Facebook, etc., Google Plus, and you know throw in what 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 other costs you know if you're doing this what what have you incurred or you know if you you think there might be a cost maybe there maybe that cost doesn't exist and 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 or you disagree with the ones I've listed here but let's let's crank our way down them and see yes so the first one is probably the one that most people who are not proponents of open source software it's the first one that they'll crack out and it's it's the almost cliche phrase uh free software is only truly free if you don't value your time right you you've probably heard that phrase before and yeah and and i'll at this point i'd say it's 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 a cliche argument but it doesn't mean it's not valid um there are some things that will take longer. And I'm not talking necessarily about user interface or workflow or that sort of stuff. I've, I've had more than my fair share of podcasts on that. And I find that, you know, user interface and workflow-wise, sometimes the solutions that, that, that are in free software are faster. I mean, it's just, they're just not familiar if you're used to a proprietary. But again, I'm, I'm digressing because that's, that's, that's a separate topic and that's something I've basically already covered. Now, what I'm talking about when I talk about time is time in terms of your business and time you have to spend either figuring things out or doing things. And that's, this deals with, this largely deals with support and documentation, which are also big things that people bring up when you talk about free and open source software. Free software is, has a reputation and it's not undeserved for having abysmal documentation, abysmal. And, and it go, this, this dovetails into something I'm going to get into a little bit later, but it's, it's, it's not the developer's fault necessarily, but the resources to 
that, that document the software in terms of use are, are, aren't always there. Or if they're there, they're not always thorough. Or if they're thorough, they're not always up to date. So, you know, you have to go to what's essentially the second tier of support, and that's, that's user communities, right? And, and ask people, get a mentor, or, you know, you, you find out why is this not working, or how do I do this particular task, or those sort of things. And there's a lot of, there is a sunk cost in becoming familiar with, new, with parts of these packages that um, you're not already familiar with, and, and they don't necessarily have great documentation. And, you know, there's, there's not someone you can call necessarily to give you the answer or documentation or, or that sort of thing. Granted, on the proprietary side, that's not always the case either. It's not like, you know, outside of, like, defective product stuff, it's not like you can call customer support at Adobe or at Autodesk and, and ask how to do a particular thing. They're likely to point you to their website which will typically have more thorough documentation and we're going full circle on this. So that becomes kind of a, a that's a time sink to, to figure some of that stuff out. Let me at least focus on that still a little bit more and that the, the, the down, the upside is that that time sink is, is I'm going to refer to it as a one-time cost. Once you get it figured out, you don't necessarily have to relearn it unless it, you, unless it's a, a task that you do very infrequently. You you learn it. You you maybe you take notes. That might be a good idea. But you you have it documented, or you actually help document document the software. Again, I'll get into that. Um, but once once that that cost is incurred, that time cost is incurred. It's a one-time payment basically. You only you only have to sink that time once. And after that, you just get faster because you know how to do it. That said, there are some things where there are conveniences that are in proprietary apps that are either more specialized or, or, or have, well, I mean, more specialized is, 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 or just have larger feature sets, right, that, that might make a specific task more more speedy or convenient and sometimes you have to hack around that to get a similar sort of vibe or effect you have to do a little bit of tweaking or do a couple manual things now the upside to that is if you're doing creative work that kind of guarantees that you're going to have a, a, a unique look to whatever you do because you're not using some sort of prepackaged bullshit you're actually using um your your own skills and, and endeavors but if you're if you're on a tight deadline, maybe you don't want to. Maybe you just want the quick solution. So there's there's trade-offs there, and that that, that falls into in in terms of a time cost. So there's that. Another cost, whether you're working with uh, if if you're working on a, on a larger project, if you're working on a collaborative project, another cost that you're going to incur, which this relates to time, but it's a difficulty, and I'm going to file it as a cost, and that's a cost, and that's in terms of manpower. Basically, the short version is the pool of people who are skilled with a particular free or open source tool is, is proportionally speaking, pretty small relative to the proprietary world. Which is a little ironic because there's a lot of people in the proprietary world who did use or have used the free stuff. They just stopped at some point. So they're not, they're not necessarily as adept as you might need them to be to quickly churn out a, a, a project or part of your pipeline or that sort of thing. So, and the people who are very adept, the people who have the, the skills, a lot of them know their value and therefore they become expensive to hire or contract work out to so that 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 can be a larger cost or if you're working you know I ran a small studio for for a, a number of years and I had to contract work out and also I hired interns and hired um, non-interns hired you know, an employee or two every now and again but you have to either find somebody who's already skilled, which can be a very hard person to find, and therefore might be expensive, or 
you you hire someone who who has the basic skill set, but you have to spend the time to train them in your specific workflow. And when I ran my studio, we were a completely open source house. I went soup to nuts, everything from server infrastructure to all the creative tools, our desktops ran Linux, our bookkeeping software was even done with an open source. It was all the entire, everything that could be done with free software was done with free software. And so bringing somebody else into that environment who doesn't have experience in that specific environment, in that specific pipe, I mean, that meant I have to not just bring them, in, in the case of my, my, my animation studio, I didn't, wasn't just getting them familiar with GIMP, Inkscape, and Blender, but they never worked on a Linux desktop before. They never knew what virtual desktops were or, you know, shading, sh shading windows, depending on the window manager, or the fact that you could have multiple window managers and different interfaces based on, you know, your own personal taste. They, I had, you know, there was time I had to devote to training them in all of that before they could come up to speed and actually be meaningfully contribute to whatever project I needed them to contribute to. And so that can be a bit of a challenge or was a bit of a challenge and it's, and it's, a, it's a cost. So you're either going to um, incur a cost, again, if this is in terms of manpower, if you're, you're working on a larger project that's inherently collaborative, you're going to incur a cost either paying for rare talent because the pool of people who are very talented with this is there there aren't there simply aren't as many yet or you train your talent pool to be there and that's you know a sunk cost in terms of getting them up to speed and and those sorts of things so that's something you have to consider the other one that's that's an interesting thing to consider is audience so if your customer, if your client, if, again, this is all under the under the assumptions that you're you're doing this as a job, you're doing this as your, as part of your career, right? So you have customers to pay you to do things. So if your customer is is the end customer, you know the the final distributor or consumer of whatever creative thing you're producing, then they. They couldn't care less what what tools you use. They couldn't. I mean, you could take a stick and a hammer and, and bang it into the sidewalk, and as long as they could, um, as long as they like the final product, then then they're happy. But if your customers are, if you're trying to fit into somebody else's pipeline, say you're you're freelancing for for somebody else and you're, part, you're just doing part of a production, that becomes a bit more difficult. It's not impossible, but the, 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 the cost there is, again, it's gonna be, it, it can be time, it can be uh, an opportunity cost because you, you might not find, because the, 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 you might not be able to find customers, if you wanna work in somebody else's pipeline, you might, you might not be able to find customers that that have a pipeline that's compatible with with open source tool sets. For instance, you know if you if you were if you're a three D modeler, it's pretty safe. You can pretty much do most things for everyone. You can make three D assets for video games. You can make models for film and visual effects. You can do illustration, product design, product visualization, all of that stuff. Because pretty much everybody can take an OBJ file. That, that becomes your sort of me interchange medium. And even FBX, if, you know, as long as that can be another possibility. OBJ is still more, more ubiquitous. But if you're, if you're an animator in a 3D pipeline, then you get you have you're going to get a rigged character you're going to have to animate that rigged character and you're going to have to get that animation data back to them for lighting rendering and, and the other parts of the pipe rigs are a harder thing to do because i mean and that's those are even hard to do if you're in a proprietary sense fbx goes a long way towards towards serving that but i mean really it's 
if if you're not in in the Autodesk ecosystem, um, FBX can still be a pain in the ass regardless. So it, it's not it's not a uh, a panacea by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, if you if you if you're if you're interested in doing animation and working in somebody else's pipeline, and they don't want rendered frames of animation, then then you not, you you might not be able to get any customers in that regard. If you're do, my, you know I, the post I did at the end, near the end of last year, I was working with a television station. I was only responsible for character, the character animation in that, and they were doing all of the final comp work and final animation stuff in After Effects. And if I couldn't deliver to them in a format that they could ingest in After Effects, then then they couldn't be my customer either. Fortunately, you know they 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 were handling it pretty easily i could have either given them um worst case well not worst case but uh there, there are a number of options i could have done i could have gone with with a sequence of open exr files but they didn't really need that complex they just needed um either either an image sequence with an alpha channel or in their case a video file with an alpha channel and uh quicktime the qtrle the quicktime animation codec does that for you so that worked out reasonably well i was able to do the the animation elements in Blender and Krita and deliver that to them and they were, you know, they're able to, to take it from there. So there's, there's what it comes down to cost wise again is this is an opportunity cost is, is you have to be a bit more picky about who your customers are. If you're, again, if your customers are, are, are the incline, the distribution, if you're, if your customer is a business and you're producing a 30 second commercial for them and you're taking it soup to nuts, then well, soup to nuts a lot in this little segment. Anyway, if you're taking it from beginning to end and you're producing the final, final video for them, then they don't care what you do it in and free software will work out just fine. But if you're, if you're, if you're working in, in somebody else's environment, that can become a bigger challenge. I mean, if you want to do visual effects and compositing, you know, depending on what their interchange format, if they're doing it in OpenEXR or whatever, then then you're probably pretty safe. But if they're using some other wacky ass format or something, then it becomes a bigger challenge. And the same goes for, for non-kinetic media, right? So we're talking about, you want to do graphic design and, and catalog layout then you know chances are good that's that used to be a quark world that's now an indesign world uh, if you want to do it in scribus you better be doing the entire thing because it's not like you're going to be able to ingest in indesign files as part of your pipe and you're not going to they're not going to be able to take your scribus files out and put it in indesign and they probably don't want to be ingesting whatever pdf file you put out there because it's going to be a quality drop so yeah there, there's 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 some 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 costs when it comes to your your who your audience is and and picking who your audience is in in that regard um so that's that's something worth thinking about and there's i i'm just putting this on the second to last but it's it's worth mentioning i suppose there is a social cost i'll say and and there shouldn't be, and it, it's it's fucking stupid that that there might be. But I'm saying how it is, I'm not saying how I'd like it to be. Well, I guess I am saying how I'd like it to be, but really how it is. If you're working on something, and 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 it used to be worse. It used to be a lot worse. I've been doing this for a while, but it used to be that you could, if you someone asked you what you did, and you said you know I do. Uh, graphic design, or I do animation, or I do video, and they, oh, what do what do you use? And oh, I use Blender. Oh, you're one of those. Or you know, I use GIMP, or I use usually I use GIMP. How do you use that? Or or Inkscape, or you know, any any of the, the tools, or they don't say, oh, I don't, I never heard of that. Well, oh, it's free. Oh, then you get the the whole stigma of free thing, which is bullshit. But it's it's most most social things are bullshit. People aren't rational. And that's something that you're going to have to either suck up and deal with, not suck up to the people. I mean, you're 
customers. You're always sucking up to customers. But you're either going to have to have an angle on that. You know, the, 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 the cheese ball easy one is, well, it's, I, my, my tools are free, therefore I have uh, lower costs. But, of course, we know manpower costs, people costs are more expensive are more expensive than any the seats of any software you might use. But if they know you're, you're a one-man shop or you're a freelancer, there's something to be to be said there as a possibility for 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 those sort of things. So there, yeah, there's there's a social cost. Um, I think it's bullshit, and and it's a lot better than it used to be. But it's it's something worth mentioning. Um, there's. I wasn't going to talk about it, but there, I mean, I guess I'll talk about it a little bit. If you're going, if you're going full free software, if, you, if you're you're, good, you're doing kind of like like what I did, um, and using free software all the way through the pipe, then there can be support costs, infrastructure costs. There's a lot of things that you can do. You know, if you have the skill set, or you know someone who does, there are some things that that go a lot better version control, uh, render farming, uh, anything related to network is, is fantastically stable in a breeze. But, you know, if you don't know how to do that or you, um, well, mostly if you, if you, if you don't know how to do that, don't have any experience with that sort of stuff, then, then yeah, that, you know, again, the people who know how to do that, they're, they're pretty good at their job, but they, they tend to command a pretty penny as far as hiring them. So, I mean, if you're, if you're not planning on doing certain technical things yourself, then you either got to be really good friends with somebody or willing to, to, to pay people to help with that. So there's, like I said, so there is a, there can be, depending on the extent to which you use free software as part of a, your, your creative business or, or just creative endeavors, um, if you're not familiar with some of the technical aspects of, of those tools, then then there can be a a, a cost incurred in, in getting that stuff set up and, and maintaining it. You know, if, if you want to have a render farm, but you don't know how to build and maintain a render farm, you're kind of going to have to pay someone to do that for you. And so, that, I mean, there's going to be... But that's not necessarily... The reason why I hesitated to bring it up at all is that that's not necessarily limited just to free and open source software. I mean, if you're using proprietary software and you want to do render farming, chances are good if you don't already have the infrastructure set up for it and you don't know how to do it, it's the same kind of cost that's going to be incurred there as well. So, but actually, if you're using proprietary software, you have to pay per seat or per per CPU if you're doing a render farm. So financially, it actually might be a little bit cheaper on the free software side. Yay! But yeah, so I mean, there's, again, it depends on, like, I had a, a RAID and a file server and an offsite backup set up that I'd all configured and built myself. And there was, there was a time cost in setting that up and whatnot. And had I not done that, I'd have to pay somebody, but I would, you know, it's, it's your data. You kind of want to take care of it. So even if I was on proprietary software, I would either sync the time or the money to make sure that my data was safe, my data, my customer's data was was safe and backed up, and I could get back to it again in the event that I have to revise something. So I mean that's that's a cost, but I don't think it's exclusive to free software. The other one, the the, the last sort of cost I kind of want to get into is I'm going to call it a responsibility cost. And I, I really ought to write like an article or, or maybe make a whole other um, blog post or another podcast episode about this. But when I, when I say a, rep, a responsibility cost, well, let me let me start like this. This this goes back to I, something that I, I I hope I mentioned in the news. If I didn't mention it, mention it in the news, then um, this this is going to seem awfully silly, but. In any case, there was a a blog post by a Krita, a Krita developer who, talking about Photoshop and, and or talking about Krita and how it's not Photoshop and 
can't really be Photoshop because there's limited manpower and those sort of things. And all free software programs, especially on the application side, um, and even more so to, to some degree for creative programs, creative content production, digital content creation, whatever the word you want to use, for, for programs that are used to make things by creative people, those teams are often even smaller, right? So you, like, again, we're talking Scribus, Blender, GIMP, Inkscape, Tupi, uh, Synfig. There's, I just run down the whole gamut of them. There's, it's, it's innumerable. But, but the, the point is that the teams, especially compared to their uh, proprietary software counterparts, the, te- the, the development teams... One, are pretty small relative to proprietary teams. And two, they don't have a lot of the support that a proprietary... Like, in in closed-source development, you don't just have developers, right? You have other departments that are devoted to marketing the software or documenting the software. Uh, you probably have tiers of tiers of management that are mostly there to annoy the software developers. But the, the point is that and they'll have artists for, for, again, for marketing reasons and stuff like that. Free software programs, if they have that at all, they're still, they're still very small. But most of them don't have a marketing department, don't have a QC, a quality control, uh, quality assurance and testing department. They might have a, an automated test suite and some regression files, but they don't have necessarily, they don't really have a, a department to do any kind of thorough testing on the software. So that's why one of the, the running refrains you'll see on, on, on bug reports or something like that is, well, I can't reproduce it. It works for me, right? So my point is, as users of free and open source software, we've got a responsibility we are those departments and we suck at them you know as users of this software we have a part in the development of the software and it's not we're not talking about just the, the code writing part but you know it's our responsibility to be involved with documentation it's our responsibility to be involved with bug reporting and 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 testing software testing programs before they come out in stable because by the time they reach stable, or as, as far as the developers are concerned, they think it's stable. By the time it reaches that, it's too late because it's already out. You want to do, you want to test release candidates and beta versions so that those bugs get themselves worked out, or at least an awareness of those bugs is made to, to the development team. And quite frankly, as a community of users, we suck at this job. Our, if we were, if we were, um, if we, if you were to take the community of users behind, not behind the community of users of GIMP or Inkscape or Blender, and say that you guys are the marketing and QC, marketing department, and you guys are the QC department, we would all be fucking fired. We would, because, and the evidence starts at the beginning of, of this segment here, is the evidence is that most documentation kind of blows. Most um, most bug testing, they're either, it's either non-existent or, or bad in general. You know, I, I can't tell you how many, how many really, really, really poorly written bug reports I've come across by, by people. And I mean, it's no, it's based on that. It's, it's no surprise that, that from some projects, you know, the, the developers can get prickly when they have to deal with six or seven bug reports that all say, I can't do this. It's broke. And they don't give any further details. They don't talk about what operating system they're running on. They don't talk about what version number, what version of the software they're using. They don't talk about any specifics about the the steps they anyone could do to reproduce the bug. They just say it doesn't work for me. It's broke. 
if they report at all. So this is something I'll probably be talking more and more about, but it's, it's, it's definitely a cost. We, as somebody who uses open source software for your work, it's, it's, it's on you, it's on me, it's on all of us who use this stuff to do a better job at being part of the, the, the creation process for the software itself. So you know how to, you spent, you sunk that time to figure out something that was poorly documented. You know, hopefully you took notes so that you don't forget. Well, put those notes somewhere. A lot of these projects have a wiki or at least some form of a, of a manual of some sort. Find the documentation team, send them your notes, send them your, you know, you, or even better, write the write actual, you know, meaningful and useful documentation. Um, when it comes to the marketing side of things, you, we, you have one of two versions of us, right? You've got the, the open source user who is, what do you do? Well, I use this, I use GIMP because I can't afford anything else. I use, you know, and, and you live up to that stereotype. So you have that, that version, the, the basically, I'm, I'm, I apologize for using the tools that I do, which is stupid. Or you have the, the, the overly energetic evangelist that, that, you know, the software can do no, can do no wrong kind of person where, where they, they don't, again, I understand people aren't rational, but they don't take an objective stance on their tools. So on the one hand, you've got a bunch of people who, who apologize profusely for, for even, you know, using these tools. And on the other side, you got the person who may unrealistically proclaim that, that free and open source tools are, are demonstrably the best and everything else sucks and, and is and people who use those proprietary programs are horrible people, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you really have those two. The community in, in large, from a vocal stance, has those two sorts of people. And neither one of them are very good for marketing the software, right? You don't want, one's going to set up unreal, both of them set up unrealistic expectations. On the one hand, one will, you know, the, 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 I'm sorry for using the software person is not painting a very good picture of it and making it look like they wish they were using something else. And the other one's going to set up someone like, oh, well, this, this program is going to make toast for me in the morning. Sweet. And when it doesn't make toast, Whoever they just evangelized to is just going to be all pissed off because they really wanted toast that morning. So we have to do a better job at realistically advocating the tools that we use. And the best way to do it is to shut up about it and make awesome stuff. <laughs> and, and there's not enough people letting their fantastic work talk for them. And there is some fantastic work. You doesn't. You don't have to go very far to look for it. But as a community, we're not very good at any sort of concerted effort in terms of marketing the tools that we use. And again, don't look at somebody else for that. That's that's part of our responsibility because those departments, the marketing department, doesn't exist. We're it. And of course, the other one that's that's probably the most important is you know quality control, quality assurance, whatever, testing. We all have stuff we have to do in terms of, you know, if, if you're doing this work professionally and you have deadlines and, and, and those sort of things, yeah, you're crunched for time. But if you run into a bug, you kind of should report it and report it in a way that's reproducible. You can either do it through the official channel, preferably do it through official bug reporting. So if there's a bug tracker, which most of these projects, pro projects, when did I start saying projects? Most of these projects have a bug tracker of some sort 
Go to the Brug, tra- Brug, Brug Tracker. I'm losing my ability to speak properly. <laughs> Go to the Bug Tracker. Make a concise, reproducible report. And and because otherwise, no one's going to know that, it, that that part's broken. Don't assume that somebody else made the report. Right? If you make a duplicate report, that just means that more people are running across this. Uh, most Most developers on open source projects aren't going to chew you out for posting a duplicate bug. They'll just say, I think this is a duplicate of this bug. Now, it'd be nice if you did your due diligence to check to see if someone has already reported your bug. Then at least you can post in a, hey, me too, on that bug report. But that's that's part of our responsibility. And that, that the time to do that um, is, I think, it's a, it's a cost and a justifiable cost of using free and open source software as part of our um, pipeline, as part of our, our our tool chest, if you will. And s- I got honked at because they don't know how to drive. Anyway, we are those departments, and that's our responsibility cost. You have to, there's and 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 it's you know the currency is time. The currency for all of this is time because f- the financial cost is handled, right? It's it's. Some some open source tools they might have a premium or or, or or an additional. Most of them don't though. To pay, you could be donating. That's that's but that's a, a voluntary thing. That's not required. That's not incumbent upon you. Um, and it, and if you donate, let me let me put this out there too. If you donate money for the development of the free software tool that you use, that does not absolve you of your responsibilities in terms of documentation bug reporting and marketing that's the way i look at it at least is that if you're using these tools you have it's 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 part of the cost of of using them is going to be our 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 responsibility cost and so make good bug reports make video tutorials write documentation write books Maybe you can get a buck. Maybe you can get paid for 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 your contribution as well, right? Um, but the 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 point is that it's it's an important thing to, to 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 stick to. And I mean, that's that's what I see in terms of of costs. You know, most again, most of the costs when it comes to using free and open source software. Like I said, the, the, the financial costs, it's handled. It's, we're talking zero dollars or zero insert your version of currency, right? You're, you're not paying for any money for it. So the currency in which you're dealing is time. And so there's, it's all time costs. Either it's going to be in, in training people if you're working in, in, in a larger collaborative thing or it's going to be the time you spend fulfilling your responsibilities, which I'm, I'm very adamant about this. I think it's very important that, that we be better users because it's, it's, it's not on, not all on developers. And to, you mean, to, to be completely frank, they're not well equipped to actually fulfill these tasks. Developers Generally speaking, they're not good marketers. They're not, they're, they're, you know, their reputation already stands. They're not great documenters, right? But even if they were, they're, they're documenting the technical side of the code. They're not necessarily documenting workflow and, and those sort of things. So it it's not in their wheelhouse. As, as creatives, as people who create things, most of the time when we're creating stuff, we're creating stuff that has to communicate to an audience, right? You're not... Um, fine arts maybe there's an exception there but even fine arts art in general is going to be some form of communication and if you're not and so as as a creative as a person who creates things your job is is partially that of a communicator and we tend to be good at communicating so it's much more in our wheelhouse to do marketing and documentation 
than 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 than, than it is for for most developers. So it's one of those things where it just it, it fits better. Bug reporting, bug testing. That's that's where we shake hands with devs, right? That's where where we say this is the way I expect it to work, and now it's not, or this is the way it used to work, and this is a regression. So I'm beating that drum a little bit hard now. It's almost it's that drum has turned itself morphed a bit itself into a bit of a dead horse, but you get the point. Um, and that is what was the point? Oh, the point is talking about. Oh man, I almost screwed myself up there. The point is talking about the 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 costs of using free software as part of your creative production and uh, pipeline. And and I think that's the biggest the biggest thing is that we need to be better users. And you know we need to be the kind of users that. Um, developers of other programs would love to have and they can't get us <laughs> so that's that's the way I see it um, you may or may not see it the same as me and if you don't or do I want to hear about it so let me know in any case I'm uh, coming up on the end of this segment and actually the end of my drive so I'm gonna cut off here and talk to you later it's time for me to get to work and that's the show uh, as always if there's anything that I say that strikes a chord or you have a, an answer or comment related to that version control question I have in the middle of the show <laughs> You can make a comment on it on the podcast section of my website. That's monsterjavaguns.com slash podcast. Or you can track me down. I'm Jason Van Gumster. I'm on your favorite social media site, whichever one that one happens to be. Just look for Monster Java Guns and tell me what you think there. Also, I do have an email newsletter. It's a plain text light traffic thing, so I don't really track any data on it or do any analytics it's just where I can let you get an early call on, on anything that I'm up to that's that's new and interesting related to the podcast or any of the, anything I'm producing so you can subscribe to that on the sidebar of my site which again is monsterjavaguns.com <laughs> yep that's about it now you get to work And this is the last job.